Good evening. God bless you for coming this evening. I want to greet you in Jesus' name. And I'm looking forward to this evening, speaking of uh, the transformation from Paul to, uh, I'm from Saul to Paul, and that transformation is still alive in our lives today. For devotional, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. There's a few verses I want to look at here. We'll be reading verses 17 to 20 and then making some comments. This is Jesus speaking here on the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And he says, uh, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not to come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass away, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. If you were a Jewish person in that, uh, at that setting, what would your thoughts been when Jesus made that statement? Thinking if you were a Jewish person in that day, probably the most holy and righteous person that you knew were the Pharisees. And Jesus says, except your righteousness exceeds theirs, you shall no wise enter into heaven. If you heard those, that statement, what was the hopelessness that you felt? But as we, as we'll see in later tonight, and as we saw this morning, uh, I was going to be sharing some from uh, John chapter three. And then we had that this morning in, in our, uh, the message. But there we see this Pharisee coming to Jesus by night named Nicodemus. And before he even got to asking Jesus questions, Jesus told him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus was telling Nicodemus, that being right does not come from doing right, but being right comes from a change within. And he tells him later in in verse 7 then, he says, ye must be born again. And I think as we follow Nicodemus' life throughout the next couple of uh, chapters there or the next couple of years there, I think Nicodemus came to realize what Jesus was saying. We see him defending Jesus in, in the trial there, like John mentioned this morning. And, and also after Jesus' death, we see him going with Joseph of Arimathea and requesting the body of Christ. I think Nicodemus 
was a Pharisee that was transformed by the power of God. And we'll also see tonight of another Pharisee. The topic tonight will be another Pharisee that was transformed by God's power. And as we heard this morning, we too need that transforming power in our lives in order to see and understand God's ways. So I just want to challenge you tonight again that being right does not come from doing right. But doing right needs to come from a transformation within that causes us to be right. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our great God and Father, we thank you for your power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you for that transforming power that works in amazing ways and brings us out of darkness into light. And I just pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct in our service tonight, be with the men that are sharing. pray that you would give them wisdom, and I pray that uh, your words could go forth and not return to you void, but that they could accomplish what you please. We just ask that your name would be honored and glorified and that you would uh, have your way and your will. We thank and praise you again in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as you saw in our bulletins this morning, the uh, topic tonight is Paul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle. And we'll have uh, Sam Stolzfus be sharing the Saul of Tarsus. And then Sean Lapp will be sharing Paul the Apostle. And then after that, we'll have a testimony of a Latter-day Transformation by uh, Lancho Ramos. So let's give them more prayerful attention, and I pray that God would bless you as you share. Good evening. All right. So my topic tonight is um, Saul, um, before he was converted, before the road of Damascus. Um, but before I start with that, I have a little bit, a little tidbit here that I thought you might find interesting about Saul or Paul as he was also known. Um, when I was studying, I was looking up some articles online about Saul and about Paul and, and this and that. And I noticed that there were several articles that seemed to claim that Saul never really changed his name to Paul. And as I looked into it more, it, apparently it, Paul is just another word for Saul. And we, I think we all sort of heard or believe in some way that Saul's name somehow got changed to Paul. But as I looked, as I researched it, um, apparently Saul is the Hebrew word or the Hebrew name and Paul is the Greek name. And you see, you can see in Acts several times after the road to Damascus, God still calls him Saul. And I think the reason um, that he was started to become, his name became Paul was because Later in his ministry, when he started going to the Gentiles, he would minister to the Greeks more. And so his name, he was referred more often to, um, he was referred to more often as Paul, as Paul instead of Saul. And before, when he was a Pharisee and worshipping the temple, the Jews would obviously call him Saul because that was his Hebrew name. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And also the author of Acts, um, Luke, 
was, I believe, a Gentile as well, and so he would have referred to him as Paul as well. So that's sort of interesting. And Acts 13.9 says, Saul, who also is called Paul. If you look, if you look that verse up, it sort of seems to, to seem like he sort of had two names. There was many people in the Bible that had two names. Anyway, I don't want to let that distract too much, and hopefully that doesn't detract from what Sean has to share, because there are, there are a lot of things we can draw out of the change in Saul's life. And earlier he was a Pharisee, and later he was a minister to the Gentiles. So I think that's still applicable. Anyway, so who was Saul or Paul? Um, you can read in Philippians 3.5. He was, uh, Paul himself is saying this, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And you can see here, I mean, what can you, what can you see in Paul's life or Saul's life um, anything negative, really. I mean, he was, his hair, he had a heritage that, you know, maybe even put some of our heritages to shame. He was, you know, of, the, of Israel, first of all, God's chosen people. He was of one of the best tribes. Um, and he was a Pharisee, which means he was a, a, a scholar of the law. He studied under Gamaliel, which was one of the more prominent rabbis in Jerusalem in that time. And so he was probably very intelligent as well. And he probably could, he probably had most of the Bible memorized as well. So he, there was probably a lot of people that admired or envied Saul in that time. And to another thing on top of all this is he had a Roman citizenship and he was born with it. There's another verse in Acts that the, the Roman, Roman guard or something asked him, how he's, he became a Roman because the Roman had to pay a lot to receive that Roman citizenship and Saul replies saying that he had received that by birth through his parents. So he pretty much had everything going for him. And as you see later in this verse here, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, he, he was one of the most zealous guys that I think we've ever seen. Um, he did whatever it took to, to do what to to do or to, to walk out what he believed, what he thought. Um, the first mention of Saul is at the stoning of Stephen in Acts 7, verses 57 to the end of the chapter, and also in the beginning of chapter 8. It says, The witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And later on, in verse 8, And Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. Saul... Didn't, I don't think he knew he was doing the wrong thing. Maybe he did. I don't know. God later, in the road to Damascus, God asks of why he keeps kicking against the pricks. Maybe he did have um, people telling him that he, he was wrong. Or maybe he did have some moments where he saw these Christians that were being persecuted for their faith, that he was persecuting. Maybe he had his conscience pricked. I don't know how that all was. But I'm probably, at the stoning of Stephen, he at least, I mean... What Stephen did there, looking directly at his persecutors and asking God to forgive them for what they had done, I'm sure that must have affected Saul in some way. But he was so sure that he was right, and so he did whatever it took to, to carry that out in his life. And he didn't let anybody else hold him back from that. So um, what are some things that we can learn from Saul? I have three things here. Um, the first was he 
fought zealously for what he thought was right. And again, looking at that verse, the first verse there where, we, where the first mention of Saul is, um, it mentions that he was a young man. And soon after that, we read that he was persecuting the church. And I tend to believe that he was relatively young when he was doing this. I don't know exactly how old he would have been, but he wasn't an old man for sure. Because after that, he got converted and he did his missionary journeys. So I believe that he was fairly young when he started persecuting the church. And he had studied, um, probably studied the, the Bible or the, the books of the law his entire life as he was growing up. And so when he was older, he saw this Jesus that was making disciples and then died on the cross. Or he did, I guess he did. I'm not sure if he saw Jesus, probably not. But anyway, he saw his teachings and what his teachings were doing and the Christians that were growing in number as a result of this Jesus and his teachings and the disciples that were you know, doing all this, these marvelous miracles and works. And he hated that because it seemed like they were going against what the law had said. And Jesus himself multiple times did things or said things that were directly contrary to what the Pharisees taught. And Saul was a Pharisee. He was a very zealous Pharisee. And so when this happened, he, he felt provoked. And he felt that if nobody else is going to take care of these Christians, then I'm going to do it. And so he took it upon himself to do this. He traveled all over um, the land at that time, um, imprisoning Christian men and women, not just men. He, he imprisoned pretty much everybody he could lay his hands on that um, professed to be Christians, to follow, uh, Christ followers. And he didn't even stop at what was social or just acceptable. I'm not sure um, at that time. I'm not sure if the church had been persecuting Christians, like imprisoning them, probably because they um, imprisoned Peter and John. But he, Paul, did his fair share of that. And then on the road of Damascus later, um, he he was on the road of Damascus to obtain permission from the high priest additional permission to, to imprison even more Christians and to do even more to squash this movement that was going on. So Saul wasn't content with just doing enough. He, he was all out for, for, for doing what he believed was right. So, and one thing I want to draw from this is, um, do you make a difference where you're at? At your workplace, in your family, your church, or your youth group? Can people tell that you're there? Or are you just there taking up space? If you, were, if you would no longer be where you are, would people be able to tell? Are you making a difference at what you're doing? And even, I realize not everybody has you know, obvious jobs or things that they're doing, but the thing that you're doing, are you doing it well? Do people see that you're doing it well? Or do people realize that you're, you're doing the best you can? That's something that I want to take from that. Um, The second thing is God can change anyone. I don't want to encourage too much on what Sean's going to share, but God can change anyone, even people like Saul. And Saul was a pretty bad guy because God's own people, he was taking and throwing them in prison and mistreating them. Um, But God saw the potential in this man, his tremendous zeal for doing what he thought was right. God saw that. And uh, can we look past the sin and the junk and the garbage in the people's lives around us? Can we look past that into the type of person that they could be for Christ? 
do we do we see people as as their actions or do we see them as their potential in the kingdom of Christ and I think that's a that's a powerful message from this story as well and the third thing is are we willing to change direction and receive correction um, if you're doing something wrong are you willing to hear direction and criticism from others and change 180 degrees and do something else Saul's whole life changed in one instant basically he was going one way and he totally flipped around and started helping the people that he had been persecuting just a couple weeks earlier so are we willing to make changes if necessary thank you Well, thanks, Sam. That was good to hear um, for myself, too. Yeah, I've, I definitely enjoyed the time of just studying about Paul and, and getting to know more about him. Um, I was reminded, too, of what John, you said this morning about, you know, when we read the Word, there's never a time where we, can, we can't get anything out of it. Um, there's always going to be an eye-opening experience when we read through it. And, and that was, yeah, that was definitely something that I experienced um, reading over acts and, and looking up things on the internet, just like Sam did. So I'm talking about Paul the Apostle <clears throat> after his conversion. And, <clears throat> excuse me, before I go too far, let's turn to Acts 26. And this is Paul talking to King Agrippa. Um, and he's explaining his own conversion experience and explaining it to another person um, rather than like Acts 9 would be where it talks about Saul specifically from someone else. Um, So yeah, this is Paul's own words to King Agrippa, um, pretty much trying to convince him that this is my experience, this is what Jesus did for me, and so therefore you should be a believer too. Um, So it's interesting seeing what he says. Let's start at verse 12. And this is Acts 26. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they shall repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me, Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying 
no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would pro- proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So that's Paul's um, conversion and out of his own words. And, and that's interesting just seeing um, how he explained that to King Agrippa. What, um, what is, yeah, I guess you could say um, his intent for life, where he wants to go. Um, with his life and how he wants to serve God. And he makes it very clear that, um, yeah, he, he's preaching to both the Jews and the Gentiles, and it's not necessarily, you know, everybody needs this. It's not just his own people. Um, and he, he wants to make this known to everybody. And, yeah, I don't think I'll read much more there. Um, but it, Paul obeyed God immediately. He repented and knew that he had been doing wrong. Um, so like Sam said, Paul had a zeal, and he was doing the wrong thing, and he had zeal with that. And then he turned it around and be- began um, doing the right thing for Christ and still had the same zeal that he had before. Um, and I can't imagine how hard that would have been for Paul. You know, I have no idea what the numbers were of people that he helped kill um, for Christ. But, but yeah, how it would be extremely hard just realizing that um, I need to put all that aside. All those people that I killed, I need to forgive, um, or the relatives. You know, I I have to be able to put that aside and and forgive and turn around and completely support the people that I killed in the past um, and help them. And I think, um, yeah, I think Paul felt, uh, and which he did, he he turned it around and helped the people that he persecuted as much as he possibly could. And I feel like there weren't many regrets in his life um, with the way that he did help him after his conversion. <clears throat> yeah, Paul's zeal, like Sam said, was as truly amazing. Um, he lived his life as a traveling missionary and, and spent the rest of it serving, serving God um, as much as he could. So I'm going to talk not necessarily about Paul's teachings, um, there's so much we can, yeah, we can go with that. But I'm going to talk more about the way he witnessed, um, where he witnessed, and just kind of his journey, um, how, how he did it, how he tried to pursue, pursue people. Um, not necessarily with, with um, yeah, the way, the way he spoke to people, but the places he went and, and how he tried to get as many um, converts as he possibly could. So... The Jews now tried to kill him, and Gentiles didn't believe and were afraid. Um, and I think we know that Barnabas was definitely trying to help the disciples realize that this guy is converted, and he's, he's going to help you. Um, and so Barnabas was a, was a big help to Paul at that time because the, the disciples were afraid of him. Um, and Paul's past sins did not seem to hinder his zeal for Christ. I talked about that. He chose to forgive himself and obey God's plans for his life. So the question is, where did Paul witness? How did he go about, um, after his conversion, how did he try to bring people to Christ? And, yeah, from, from what I got, he chose these popular cities. Um, they're pretty much well-known cities at, at the time uh, that he would have went to, and they were Jerusalem, Antioch, Ephesus, Thessalonica, Corinth, and Rome. These were all places that he chose to, to visit. Um, and these cities were 
At the time, they were the greatest crossroads of the empire and the biggest culture meeting places, um, or places where people would meet as different cultures and spread news, you know, whatever. It, you know, it wasn't Fox News back in the day, but any kind of news, Saul would go, go to those places and he would spread the news of Christ. And he, yeah, he simply chose these cities because he wanted as many people to find out as, as possibly, um, yeah, as he knew possible. Um, and he tried to reach as many people as he could. And so I think that's fascinating. Um, Paul was not afraid to go to the big cities and huge groups of people and preach. Um, he did the best he could to, to get into the big groups um, and into the high up people of, of the day. And Paul traveled over 10,000 miles on foot. That was something I, yeah, I found was interesting. Um, back in the day, they would have needed to travel on foot, and 10,000 miles is a lot of miles. And I think we, we've heard of his sailing experiences. He probably sailed more miles than he ever traveled. Um, and so Paul did an extreme amount of traveling. Um, and I think we know that going to different cultures isn't necessarily easy. That's, that is definitely... Um, yeah, that's a, that's a sacrifice to be able to go to another culture and preach um, the news. So another question, how did he witness? And let's turn to Romans 3, 9, and verse 10. And I'm not going to expound on this very long. Romans 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And also verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Saul was very much about preaching repentance um, and about telling everybody that they're sinners. You know, everybody needs, um, needs God's, God's redemption, and, and everybody needs the salvation experience. Um, and so he was not about to go and, and preach to the Jews or the Gentiles. He was, he was about to preach that everybody needs repentance, and, and he did that very well. Um, so I'm sure Paul felt the grace of God for his past. I think at the same time, you know, looking at Paul's life, um, he had a huge repenting or, I guess, salvation experience that would have been very dramatic. And, you know, he, he would have been the person that could have been experiencing what the people he witnessed to, the people that went through, um, yeah, very hard times and went from one extreme to the next. You know, Paul was the person... To talk to him, and I think I think Paul didn't feel, or if there was anybody that felt like they were too much of a sinner to re- receive Christ, um, you know, Paul's life story should have been able to turn that around for those for those individuals. Um, and I think Paul probably made that very clear. Nobody has fallen into sin so much that you can't get out of it and and praise God um, and yeah, earn salvation. And because what Paul went through, I think, is a, is a great testimony. So I think another way he witnessed, um, 
we all know that Paul's letters that he wrote, you know, both to individuals and church groups, are in our Bible today. There's 13, which I'm not sure about Hebrews, but there's 13 books of the Bible that Paul wrote. And Paul is definitely um, one of my, yeah, Romans is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and that's written by Paul, and he's, he has a very, um, yeah, he's very talented in writing, and I think, I think he learned that from young up, like Sam said. And so just the way that Paul wrote letters to individuals is, is pretty challenging on my part. You know, how, how much do we feel like we need to write letters of encouragement um, or even of, of um, yeah, challenging people through letters? You know, Paul did this in, in a great way with the people at, yeah, of churches all over the place. Um, he went and talked to the leaders and, and wrote specific letters to the church. And so they were able to look back and, <clears throat> and see, yeah, I think just simply everybody could read over the letters rather than have Paul talk to him specifically. And that's, that's a very unique way of witnessing. Um, and at the same time, the letters he wrote, a lot of them were about the struggles that the churches went through and things that he felt they needed to change. And so at the same time, Paul would have needed to go to the church, find out what their struggles are, um, you know, yeah, just put himself into the culture and then turn around, write a letter of, you know, challenging or encouragement um, to him, and they were able to receive it that way. So that's, that's pretty neat. So just an idea, but I can imagine Paul used his tent building to support his mission work. So Paul was a tent builder. I don't know. It don't say in the Bible, but I think, um, yeah, he was probably a person who was able to support himself pretty well with his skills of tent building, and that's just an idea. So in closing, let's turn to Acts 28. is verse 30 and 31. Then Paul dwelt <clears throat> two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus, which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. <clears throat> so this talks about, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul had a house that he <clears throat> Um, yeah, people would say this is the two years that Paul spent as, uh, in house arrest, um, something he was required to do. But I'm not necessarily sure if that's, yeah, if that's a fact or not. But <clears throat> he spent two years in a house, and Paul received people that came, you know, whoever wanted to um, could come and visit him. And he, had, he would, yeah, discuss things with him. And I'm not sure how many people showed up, but I think that's, a challenge for me in closing, um, you know, how much are we willing to hear other people's stories and, and be able to help other people with, yeah, with the knowledge that we have. We have the same spirit that Paul has um, in witnessing, and so let's take up that challenge and let's be able to um, accept people around us and be able to challenge them with the way that we've been blessed. And I think we know that... Um, we're blessed a lot more than Saul has been 
Um, we have we've grown up in Christian families all our lives, and we've been taught. And so let's use that as a way to um, to witness. Thanks. Good evening. I consider this like a big privilege to share with you uh, again about my my life testimony. And reading again about the about soul conversion uh, remind me again the mercy and power from God to transform man's life like Paul and like me. And his provision for man's sin. So I was I was a little surprised that that uh, the brothers that shared these topics, they didn't, they didn't read too much about soul conversion. But do you know how many, how many days were soul in darkness? Three days. Three days. Paul was just in dark, darkness. So he was three days and I suppose three nights without being able to see anything. Everything was dark. So we all, I think we all can say I once thought that I saw, but I was blind. But now, by God's grace, I see. So this is my testimony today. And always when I remember what all God has done in my own life, yeah, I, I, my heart uh, is filled with, with gratitude. And like Brother John Yu said this morning in his message that always when, we th- when he thinks about the people that, that God brought and put it in his way, uh, he is so much thankful when, when he think about it. And I, and I also feel the same. <clears throat> so, I want to start, I want to start from the, from the beginning uh, where 
from the time when when my family moved from a place called Ranchador to Sacamil. You heard about that place, Sacamil, already, right? So, this was in 19, if I remember right, it was in 1968 that my dad, he went to uh, the city Santa Ana and he met a Chinese man. He met a Chinese man and, and he came with the, with the news that, that we are going to move from El Ranchador to Sacamil. It's only about maybe 12 kilometers, like maybe eight or nine miles uh, from Ranchador to Sacamil. But for us, it was a big move. So, so we made plans, uh, well, my mom and dad, they made plans where we're going to be moving. So we finally, we moved to Sacamil uh, to, to a farm that I I'm guess that it's a small farm, like maybe 10 acres, 10, 10 acres with a mango orchard and enough land uh, to to work on. So, so our main responsibility there was was just to take a good care of the of the farm. So, you just have to remember that down there, uh, even even now, uh, I mean. We don't have the kind of machine that you have around here that all the farmers around here have. So we did everything by hand. Everything by hand. So so we were kind of having fun of that on that place because we uh, we when when we live in el ranchador uh, i mean we were very poor and living at this place we were feeling like rich people and uh, the the chinese this chinese man with his wife and children, they, uh, they always, almost always came for weekends. Well, in the, in the property, there was two houses, and we were living in one house, and, and we were keeping the main house of this Chinese man in a good shape. So, so they came for weekends, to spend the weekend with us. And sure, we, 
Uh, well, I, I forgot to tell you that when we moved, uh, it was my mom and dad and six children. Okay? So when we moved from Ranchador to Sacamil, I was only six years old. Six years old. And so I have two more brothers older than, than me and my sister Linda. She is the, the first in the family. So Linda, she was 12 years old. And so we as children, always when this Chinese man came, we, we always uh, was getting excited for the weekend because they always brought a lot of goodies for us. They always brought, well, they almost always brought like piñatas full with candies and yeah. So we were having fun. <clears throat> so we were living at that place for two years, for two years. And suddenly, uh, my dad, he got some bad news. And uh, the bad news for us was that, that there was an American couple that was, they were interested to buy this property, this American couple. So, so that really means that, uh, that, that we will have to find another place yeah, to let this, this farm that was providing a lot of food for us because we were, uh, we were taking care of the farm like it was our own farm. And so, so this American couple, they, they came a couple times uh, to see around the property, you know, and, and yeah, they were getting excited about it. And, and finally, finally, the place was sold to Eli and Berda Glick. At that time, Eli and Verda Glick, they, they were living already in El Salvador uh, at a place called Ayutica, like uh, five kilometers, five kilometers from Sacamil. So they were living at this place. They were helping at a Baptist mission are uh, taking care of all, all people's home. Mm -hmm. So I remember, I remember that Eli and Verda, they, well, we, we were the, we was the, the first family at Sacamil that, that Eli and Verda uh, were having contact with, with us, you know. And so I remember so well when, when Eli and Verda Glick well, Eli came to to our house and and to visit with my dad and mom and and then he he asked uh, their permission to if he can take 
ask our as children uh, to Ayutika to have Sunday school class there with the children from Ayutika. So, so th my dad, he was okay with that, and he let us go with Eli. So we we went. Uh, I don't remember how many Sundays we went to Ayutika until they they moved to Sacamil. Okay, so. Uh, after they moved to to Sacamil, uh, well, Eli he he built a church house, and he started having a Sunday school class there at the church, and and very a few months later he started preaching to you know and. And I remember that my dad, he, he was the one that started attending the church there. He was one of the first ones. And, and here I remember so well when I was sitting beside my dad that I really, what I really enjoy, you know, sitting beside my dad. And, and I remember that when Eli gave a time of testimony, my dad, he always stand to give his testimony, and, and he, uh, and sometime he called like, like me and, and my sister to sing a little song in the front, you know. So, yeah, I have that good memories from my dad. <clears throat> so, my dad, he, uh, he became a Christian and he was attending the church for a few years but after a while he uh, he decided uh, to let the church I mean he didn't want to to be a Christian anymore so so we I was I was learning a lot of things, a lot of stories from the Bible, and a lot of teaching, like from non-resistant, and and I I kept that all that in my mind. So in 1971. In 1971, my dad, he got sick uh, with, with a very rare sickness. Uh, they call it uh, miastenia grave in Spanish. We call it uh, miastenia grave. Uh, I, I check in the internet and it said like my my esteem gravis, something like that. If you can check it out, you you can. But it is a, a it is a a, a new, neuromuscular disease that affect the muscles such as those that control eye and eyelid movement 
facial expression, chewing, talking, and swallowing. The muscles that control breathing and neck and limb movements were affected too. And I remember so, so well that my dad, uh, he was affected with all that. <clears throat> so my dad he he struggled with that uh, with that sickness for six years, and during that that six years, uh, me and my two older brothers we were well I was like yeah like ten years old you know eleven. And we were working hard in the fields, planting corn, planting beans, planting peanuts. And yeah, we were really working hard uh, trying to provide food for the rest of the family. My sister Linda, she, she was, uh, well, at that time she was like 14, 15 years old, but she... After Eli moved to Sacamil, she was a maid for many years working for Eli and Verda. So she, she was providing uh, some for the food too. So we were really taking uh, a lot of responsibilities. <clears throat> Finally, uh, in 1977, in February, my dad, he passed away. And I, I during all this year while he was sick, I, I got very close to him. I remember so well how many times he, he took me to, to visit his parents, my grandma and grandpa, we went to visit them many times, and he had to take somebody along with him because after one day, uh, when he went to, to visit his parents by himself, uh, he was bringing a bag of a kind of fruit for the children, and, and because he didn't have enough strength, uh, he, uh, he bumped, uh, but he fell. He fell, and, and he was there, I don't know, for how long. Nobody wanted to help him because uh, there were some people that that was passing the, the road uh, where he was laying down, and these people, they thought that he was drunk. So, so finally, uh, finally, a person that knew him, uh, he, 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 he walked uh, at that place, and, and he helped him to get up, you know. So from, 
from then on, he always took somebody along. And, and I don't know, but he, he, he almost always take me along with him. So, so when he passed away, I was almost 15 years old. So that uh, we went to, to a very difficult time after he, he passed away. Because, because even, even when he was sick, uh, he was uh, giving us the orders, you know, uh, what to do and yeah. And from there on, we didn't have that. So my, my older brother, Lecho, he, he had to take that place. So after he passed away, like three years later, I, I made a decision and I went to serve in the army for 19 months. And after being there in the army, uh, I discovered that they, they were training us for a war that, that was close to Star. I mean, uh, yeah, that, the war was, was coming. And, and they were training us for this war because the, the communists, they wanted to take over of, of our country. So by the beginning of 1980, the war began. And you probably you know about that war that lasts 12 years. So finally, by the end of February of 1981, I was released from the army. Coming out without any scar. So that was a miracle that God performed for me. And God really he spoke to me during that time. <clears throat> Again in July, in July the 26th, if I remember right, of the very same year, 1981, I made another decision. I went to, to work in the police and serve there for 33 months. In 1983, I got very sick with typhoid fever. And you know about that typhoid fever that you can die from, from that. Very easy. And the time is running, 
It's a long story, so I'm going to skip a lot of things. Uh, but, but one day, I remember so well that my mom and Lecho came to visit to the hospital where I was. I was there for, for about three weeks. And I remember so well that they came to visit me and, and I was feel like, like I was laying down in a coffin and, and I was looking up and, and Lecho, Lecho he, he was begging uh, for me, you know, to, to give my life to the Lord. You don't want to die like that, Loncho, he said. You need to give your heart to the Lord. And I said, I gave it already, I said. And so he was, he, he had kind of peace with that, you know, and so, so they left that evening. They left, and but my mom, she came home and she started getting ready for the for the viewing for the funeral. And so. So what happened after that is that God performed another miracle in my life. And, and I was healed from that sickness. And, and after I was feeling better, I decided to, to keep living my whole life. the same life. So I was playing with God. And I was, uh, I was wondering, you know, I mean, reading about Saul's conversion. I wonder if he felt that this was the last chance that God was giving him. But doesn't matter. I was, I was, I came to the point that I felt that I that I really felt that this was my last chance that God was giving to me. So, by the middle of March of 1984, I was sent. With six, with six more policemen to a place called Suchitoto. And, and this was, they sent us because this, this place was very affected by the communists. Was a place very infest by the enemies. 
and they sent us right after uh, we had, I think, we just had election for mayors, and they they attacked the the police base in Suchitoto, and they killed five policemen, and they took two alive captives. So I was sent with six more policemen to that place, and and they had to take take us by helicopter, helicopter uh, for our safe. So that was my first time that I flew in helicopter. I was I was having fun, but. But knowing about, thinking about the place where I was going, I was, I was really thinking. I was really worried for my life. So about a month later, uh, I came home with two days of permission. And... Yeah, uh, during, during that month uh, that I was in Suchitoto, God was really working in my life. He was really speaking to me. And on April the 8th, I came home with two days of permission. And... That evening, the very same evening, Verda and Pauline Kaufman stopped at my mom's place for a little visit, looking for Loncho. And Loncho wasn't there at that time. And when I came home, my mom told me that Verda and Pauline was stopped there to visit and they were asking for you and, and they let an invitation for you if you can come to, to her place. So uh, I didn't really want it to go but at the same time uh, if somebody invites you, uh, you want to, to respect that. Yeah, I wanted to respect the invitation that they let for me, so I decided to go. And, yeah, you, well, you, you, maybe you don't know too good about how Verda is, but but she had a, a heart for people. And I remember so well how, how she was uh, begging, begging to me. But Loncho, she said, what will happen to you if you will, if you will die being at Suchitoto? Well, I know, I said, I know, Verda, but... I, 
I know that my soul, I mean, I will go to hell. But we don't want for we don't want that for you, she said. God loves you so much. And he wants to rescue from that kind of life that you are living. So it was really touchy the way how she was begging. And Eli wasn't there. He at, at that time he he was at a at a church service and so so I was there almost for a couple hours and and suddenly uh, Eli arrived to the place he came he came home and And I decide, I really decide to give my life to the Lord that evening. And, but the problem was, I mean, my big concern was, what am I going to do two days later, you know, when I had to go back to the police? So I I asked Eli what what do you think that I should do and he and he said well I think you should go back and I think he he called Saul Pacheco to just to to see what he what what advice he will have for me and and Saul said go back yeah, he suggests that I should go back. So I went back to the police, and it was very hard for me to, to get my uniform, to put my uniform on, to get my ammunition, my back, backpack with ammunition, 500 bullets, and my rifle. And what about all what I, what I knew about non-resistance? But anyhow, I had to, to get my rifle, and, and I went for service. And, but before I wasn't, I wasn't a Christian, I, I mean... I was really acting, uh, I was very alert with my rifle and, and ready, ready to shoot. If I will see an enemy, and, but I didn't, want, I didn't feel good to do that anymore. So I, I was uh, having my gun with the... With, uh, Point down, and 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 my my other my other uh, friends they were kind of laughing about me, you know. 
So anyhow, the, the next day, after I got back to the police, well, that evening, I went for service from 6 o'clock to, to midnight. And, and then the next day, I decide that I'm going to talk with my commander. So the next, next day in the morning, around 10 o'clock, I think, if I remember well, I went to talk with my commander. commander. And, and I salute him and I made honors to him before uh, to come into his office. You have to ask permission to him. And, and so he, he said, come in, come on in. So I went in his office and, I, and he gave me a chair. So I, I expressed myself what was going on because he asked me what is going on what happened with you so I explained him uh, what happened with me what what really happened with me and I said I'm a Christian now and so what's wrong with that he said he said well I feel I really feel that this is not my place to be, being a Christian. But tell me, why not, he said. Do you have a Bible? Uh, no, I don't, I said, but I have a New Testament. Go and bring me your New Testament, he said. And sure enough, uh, he opened the New Testament to Romans 13. And he read the first verses there, you know, where it said that authorities are established by God. So you can be here, he said. And what's wrong with that? So the Holy Spirit was working in my mind already at that time. And I said, but, but listen, I said, what about uh, the Ten Commandments where it says that we are not supposed to kill our neighbor? And we are in a war here, and yeah, I don't want to do that, I said. And, and Jesus Jesus teach about that we are supposed to love our neighbors. So he asked me, so what are you going to do if you will see a, a communist or gorilla, whatever you want to call it, a, ready to shoot at you? Well, right now I said, I, I really feel that I will let him to shoot at me. Why, he said. Because, because if I will shoot at him, if I will shoot him, if somebody shot me after that, 
my soul will go to hell. And I don't want to do that, I said. And I don't want to go there. So finally, he said, eh, okay, go to your room and write a letter that we are going, that I'm going to send that letter to my chief commander. And, and he is the one that is going to decide if he's going to let you go home. Okay, so I went to write, to write this letter for him. We learned all that uh, in the school, you know, the first months that, that I was studying uh, before coming to be a policeman. And so, so I wrote that letter to him, and I took it back to him, and and here, he said, he, after he, he read the letter, he said, he gave it back to me, and he said, no good. Go and redo it again. And he didn't explain what was wrong in the letter. So I went back to, to make another letter, to write another letter, and and took it back to him and the second time he said no good go and redo it again oh my i thought this man he is really playing with me he is just playing with me but but at the same time I felt like a little voice telling me, go and do it again. So I went to redo it again, to write this letter again, and took it back to him. And sure enough, for the third time, at the third time, he said, okay, now it's good. So I thought, praise the Lord. Okay, so I'm going to send this letter to my chief commander, and you will have to wait by the end of this month, he said. Okay, so, so I went, and so he said, yeah, you, you may go to your room, and, and yeah, you, you are going to be here maybe by the end of this month, until the end of this month. So, so I went to my room and yeah and and that I think was the the very next day that we were called uh, to to form uh, because we wanted uh, they, they wanted to send send us uh, to to fight with the with the gorillas and here, and here, I was, I was ready there forming, and we were forming in two lines, and the, the commander, he came after the sergeant count us, he went to, to give the, the information to the commander, and the commander came to recheck, and how many we were ready to go, you know, 
And when he saw me, he said, what are you doing over there? What are you doing there? And I said, obeying orders, I said, obeying orders. And, and he said, go back to your room. He sent me to my room. So I didn't go out. So that happened twice. That happened twice. The, the next time, a sergeant, because I, when, when, I, when I came back to, to the police base, after I was converted, I was telling my, I mean, everybody, that I'm a new person. I was giving my testimony to them, even to my sergeant, to the sergeant. I was telling them, I'm a, good, a, a new person. And I can do I can do this and this anymore, I said. So the second time a sergeant he let me there, you know. For the second time. He didn't let me go out to fight. So I, I was uh, very amazed, you know, for the way how God was working through through my brothers and sisters. Prayers. They were praying at home for me, at church. And so, is the time finished, Mark? <laughs> so that, have me a little patient yet. I'm, I'm going to try to finish soon. So, the very Next week, the church in Sacamil, they were having revival meetings. Evangelist from Guatemala was preaching the whole week. And I was feeling very sad that, that I wasn't, that I, I mean, a, that, that week was the Easter week. So in that week, we, uh, we were having uh, permission by groups to go home, you know, for two days. But my, my permission, according with the, with the book that a sergeant has, uh, my permission was until Tuesday of the next week. So one day, one day in the morning, after, after breakfast, I was sitting outside, uh, like in a porch, and when suddenly the, the commander appeared, you know. And when you are sitting, uh, and a commander is coming to, to pass close to you, you are supposed to get up and make honors to him. So I get up and I made honor to him and I salute him and and he 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 salute at me too. But he stopped and said, uh, "Is something wrong with you?" He said. He looks at my face, you know. Well, I said, I kind of sad, I said. 
power. Well, my church at Sacamil, at my place, they are having a revival meetings, I said, and I wish so bad to be there because I want to learn. I want to learn more about God and I want to grow in my Christian life, I said. And, and, here, and here he called the sergeant that was in charge writing, uh, I mean, writing on this book, you know, uh, the permission. And he, uh, he called this sergeant. The sergeant came and made honor to him too. And so he, he gave him the orders to bring him the book. I want to see when this guy had permission. And I already told him, you know, that I saw that my permission is going to be on Tuesday of the next week. And this was like Monday or Tuesday. And so my permission was coming in about eight days later. So uh, he saw that I was right. And he gave the sergeant the order to change my permission to go on Thursday, from Thursday to Saturday. Is that okay for you? I said, yes, I said, it's okay. That's two days or nine days. Pardon me? Saturday. Two days. Two days. Two days. Yeah. We, we left around noon time, and we had to come around noon time on Saturday. Okay? So we count two days, 48 hours. So, so he, he, I mean, he asked me if that was okay for me, and I said, yeah. So I was so excited, so I was uh, anxious for Thursday, you know, that week, and finally Thursday came, and I, and I got ready, and I left. I went home for two days. So I had a... A good time at church, and but on Saturday, another a miracle happened. That when I was going back to to Suchitoto, I ha we we were traveling. Me and another guy, we were traveling uh, on a pickup. And, and here, uh, in, in the way from a place called San Martin, close to San Salvador, the city, the capital, you know, uh, when we were going from San Martin to Suchitoto, uh, before to get to Suchitoto, there, was, there were two places where the Gorillas, they always, almost always, they were there stopping vehicles, asking for money. Okay? And so, so I, we were traveling on this pickup, and, and here we gave our ID to the, to the driver, 
and the driver he he had a, a something a hole on on the seat and he he hide our IDs under I mean under the seat you know and here and here we were traveling and so when I was getting close to the first place where where these guys usually stop vehicles uh, I remember that 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 I was whistling a song and I was thinking what will happen what will happen if they stop this vehicle and they and they know that you are a policeman well I can easily I can I thought maybe I can easily lie, lie to them, you know. I, I was sure that the devil was trying to, to put me in a trap, you know. And, but, but after I thought that, uh, well, I thought, but then what will happen if they will shoot at you? What will happen to your soul? Okay, so I thought that this was the the Holy Spirit uh, talking to me too, you know, and I so I I made a decision that if they ask me if I was a policeman, I'm going to say that I am, and I'm going to explain them about uh, my conversion and. And I'm going to I'm going to let that in their hand. So. So when when we were getting close to this place, yes, I saw a gun coming out from a bush. Okay. So so we got stopped by these guys, and here, uh, they. One of the guys, they they came asking for money, you know. So we we gave money to him. We shared mo money with them, and so he. So after that, after he was just finished, the driver asked him, "Can I go now?" Yeah, you you may, he said, and the driver he took off that quick, you know. And there was two guys watching at me and the other police. And, and one of the guys, he went like this, you know, with his finger to me. And I said, I just said goodbye to them. <laughs> but, yeah, that was another miracle that God performed. And so, April the 29th, came and suddenly I heard a, a sergeant a sergeant calling for for my last names you know and I I quick uh, run through him and I made honor to him again and and he said go to your room and bring me 
all your equipment because your release, your release came and you are going home. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So I, I went to my room and I packed, I mean, I packed just a few things and I gave the rest to my, to my friends. And, and that is how God uh, delivered me from, from the darkness to the light. And just for a, a conclusion, I want to, to read First uh, Corinthians 15, 9, and the first part of, of verse 10. It says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecute the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I feel the same like Paul. Thank you for your attention.